Welcome to Momentum Church. Hey guys, welcome to Momentum. I'm so glad that you're here. Stick it in there. Oh, seriously, welcome. Thank you guys for being here today, whether you're here in person or you're part of our online campus. So excited to be able to to be here and to um, be able to just talk to you about one of my honestly favorite verses or chapters in Scripture. We're in John chapter 4. If you're new to the series, we've been walking through John for the past month and a half, month and a half. We've been really enjoying John. Um, Last week, Pastor Brantley talked us through uh, John chapter 3. We were actually supposed, I was supposed to do last week. Originally, I think Pastor Brantley was supposed to speak um, this week on John chapter 4, but I found that out, and I was like, I will fight you. I love John chapter 4. We arm wrestled, and I won, and so now I get... (laughs) It's not that he's weak, it's that I'm so strong. Um, and so, anyway, so I am really, really excited. Um, and if, again, if you missed last week, go back and listen to John chapter 3, because it was awesome. Um, but I got to be honest with you guys, this has been a crazy week for me. It has been insane. It's just been one of those weeks. I spilled coffee on myself earlier, and then the Lord, like, I don't know what he did, tide-pinned it from heaven, because I was just like, well, this is par for the course. But I was like, you know, I was, I was looking in my office trying to find something else to put on, and I was like, you know what? No, we're just going to roll with it, because God is good, and coffee was provided for me. Thank you, Barbara Graves. And you know what? Like, Satan doesn't win this morning. Can somebody say Amen. So um, we're just going to dive right in because I got a lot of things I want to say to you. I know that that surprises you. So um, last week, uh, Pastor Brantley again talked through um, John chapter 3. He talked about um, Jesus and his interaction with Nicodemus and his questions about baptism. And so he's going on and he's baptizing folks. And then John's in another area and he's baptizing more folks. And this really sets the Pharisees off. Like they are not happy that they are out here doing good and... um, and just more people coming to know the truth of who, of who Christ is. And so they, they find this out, and Jesus is like, oh, we're not dealing with them today. Get them out of my face. And so he is leaving um, Judea, and he is going back to, um, he's going back to Galilee. And so this is kind of where we pick up, um, is on his, on his trip back through. And it's important that um, we recognize that he passes through Samaria because he's a Jew and he has to go through Samaria. And then the Jews and the Samaritans do not get along. They got history and it is not fun. It is not pretty. And so we kind of need to keep that in mind as we read through the scripture today that um, this is kind of the relationship that the Jews have, which again includes Jesus with the Samaritans. And so... Um, and it's very interesting to me, as we sang the song today, I, I swear I did not tell Pastor Corey what we were going to talk about today. And I love the entire set list because it was, it was spot on. I love the idea of revival because in the end today, we're going to see what revival looks like in Samaria. I know, I know you're excited. So Jesus is coming through, and he meets a woman who is lost and living in sin, and she does three distinct things that I want to talk to you about today that I think are really important because I think we see ourselves um, kind of do the same thing when we engage 
with Jesus at times. And um, I apologize, the notes did not get put into version today if you're on the website on today's notes because that was somebody's job who didn't do it this week. And so I promise I will go back in and put my notes in later today so you can see, you can see what they are, but you can see the verses in there. Um, but I will update it later this week. But you can still go in and make your notes. So did you know that you can make notes in that thing? I know, it's fancy. So anyway, I think it's important. And again, however you're taking notes and paper online today, um, you can say there's three distinct things that we see um, from their conversation that can enlighten us and how we engage with the Lord. But before we jump into that, I think it's important that we see where Jesus is coming from. Again, he is coming through, and, he's, and the Bible says he's tired from his journey, and so he sits down by the well. And I think a lot of times we think about Jesus. Um, we see the, his picture painted in Scripture that like everything is flowing, and the aura is around him. You know what I mean? And it's just like he is fully God, and he was fully God, but he was also fully man. He did miracles, and, and there were healings, and he was awe-inspiring but he also got tired. And I think sometimes we forget that Jesus also got tired. So if you're here in this place today and you're tired, you are in good company. And there, we also have coffee, so I hope that you got some of that too. Feel free to go refill as I talk, I understand. So um, just, I, said, I think that that's important for us to keep in mind as we talk today. So he's sitting here tired at a well and a Samaritan woman walks up and we're gonna pick up in verse seven. And it says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And isn't that just like us at times? That uh, Jesus wants to engage with us, and the first thing that we do is get a little defensive, right? Um, but we have to understand her perspective a little bit that, again, he shouldn't be talking to her. Like, what's up, stranger danger? But also, she, uh, she's coming to the well at noon, which is not a time that most people come to the well. They come earlier in the day when it's cool or later in the day because in the middle of the day, it's hot. And no one's trying to do extra work in the middle of the day when it's hot. But she shows up because she's trying to avoid people. And here sits Jesus. She's trying to avoid people because most likely, from what we understand about Scripture at that time, she most likely had a past of sexual promiscuity, and she's just trying not to be around folks. And so not only is a guy sitting here at the well, he's also asking her for a favor. He says, hey, can you give me something to drink? But knowing this, knowing all of her history, knowing everything about her, he still chose to sit down. He still chose to find rest in her path. And in that, with that in mind, we'll just continue eavesdropping on their conversation. We pick up in verse 10. Jesus replied, If only you knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you are greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he? his sons, and his animals enjoyed. And so at this point, I have to imagine that Jesus is like, this girl don't get it. She don't understand. But she can tell something's going on here, and her response is, who do you think you are? Are you, are you greater than our father Jacob? Who do you think you are? And I think she was also saying, you don't understand the situation, and even if you did, you don't have the resources. 
you don't understand my situation, but where is your bucket? Like, how are you going to get this water? You don't know how deep this well is. You don't know how deep my problem is. I come to this well every day. You just showed up and sat down. I know the struggle. I know it's death. How can you offer me something more? Where is your bucket? And again, we see Jesus respond in probably not the way that she was expecting. We pick up in verse 13, and he says, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them and giving them eternal life. And then her her tone shifts a little bit. She says, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to keep, I won't have to come back here to get water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Certainly, you spoke the truth. I read that and I was like, dang girl, Jesus just read your mail. The stamp wasn't even dry on that one. He just opened it and started reading. He ne- but he needed her to know that he knew her story. In this interaction, he needed her to know that he- everything about her and he still offered. He knew her life and he still said, I've got something for you. He needed to offer her the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit that comes through salvation because that's what that living water is, the power of the Holy Spirit that comes with salvation. And he offered her that living water and he still offers us eternal life today. And so I can almost hear her pleading that. I don't want to keep coming back here in the middle of the day. Give me, give me this water. I'm tired of this. And he says, okay, but let's talk about the condition of your heart first. And he asked her about her husband. And she went, skirt, you know, a little bit. And the second thing she does, that you know, first she's going to be dismissive of him. And the next thing she does is we see her divert. We see her, you know, a little bit. Okay, okay, what are we going to do now? And she goes on and she says, okay, I can see that you're a prophet. Like, I can see, obviously, you know some stuff. So I see that you're a prophet, and she brings to him a cultural argument. Because at that time, the Jews worshipped in one place, and the Samaritans worshipped on another mountain. And because they had differing ideas of where people should worship. So she goes, okay, obviously, you know something. So she responds with this question and says, so your people say that we should worship over here. My people say that we should worship over here. And kind of puts this back on him, I think trying to divert a little bit from, from the having to deal with what she's dealing with, with the truth that the Lord has come uninvitedly and set in front of her. And, but instead of meeting her with a cultural argument, In verse 23, we see he says, The time is coming, and indeed is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Not this mountain and that mountain. Spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So we see him respond, but instead of, again, an argument, he responds with an invitation. He responds with instructions and says, It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you did, as long as you love me. Anybody? 
Backstreet Boys? No? Who is NSYNC fans? Yeah, I see every, every lady born after 1988 was like, yeah. No, but seriously, he says it doesn't matter who you are. Who you are is irrelevant in the light of who I am and in light of this living water that I have to give you. And then we see her do something that I think we do, again, in our own lives. So she's been defensive. She tries to divert a little bit from, from the truth. And then we, we're going to see her delay. Delay in addressing what it is that God wants to bring to her attention. We put off the invitation to leave our old ways and to come and worship. And in verse 25, we see her do this. She says, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. We see that they're waiting for something. She's waiting. And I can imagine that every day that she walked to that well, she was waiting on something. Not just her. An entire, entire nation of people, and not just that nation, nations of people are waiting on this Messiah to come. And so all of a sudden, she's looking into the eyes of the one that they waited for, and he says, I am the Messiah. And this part, um, this next part here is what gets me, guys. And it draws me back to John chapter 4, and it's this part that kind of made me want to fight Brantley to speak a little bit, which again is impressive because he works out, and I don't. And so, and it, but it, it hit me so just, just right in the gut when I see this because all of a sudden, um, again, we're going to pick up in verse 28, she leaves her situation, and she leaves her resources. And in verse 28, it says, the woman left her water jar beside the well, and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? She realizes who he was. And in the moment, this woman left her jar that's empty. We see her leave both physically and metaphorically and her emptiness, if you will, because she's tired and empty, but she's walked upon, up on Jesus, who is tired, but he's full. And, he's, and she says, I need that living water. Could this be the Messiah? Again, tired and empty versus tired and full, and he leaves her and offers her some hope. And I love that we see this juxtaposition here of her and her life, that she starts off at the well at noon in the middle of the day because she's just trying to avoid people, to now she's left things at the well, and she runs into the middle of town and is like, hey, yo, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Can you imagine her little best case scenario, just introverted self, says, I have experienced something. I have experienced something that, that has stirred in me enough that I, I'm going to have to tell folks about this. It's such a neat juxtaposition of what must that encounter must have been like to send her from lonely at a well to straight to the middle of town. Because in that, her sin is still the same. She 
She's still feeling the shame and the weight of what she's experienced. But something happened in that encounter with the Lord, a catalyst, if you will, that said, I've got to tell some folks about this. The woman who said, he told me everything I ever did. And guys, that hit, that hit, that from the conversation we see, he didn't tell her everything that she'd ever done. He just told her about her sin. He didn't tell her, um, I don't know, what, what are some good things that you can do? He didn't tell her about the time that she took care of her mom when she was sick or the time that she shared maybe a lunch with her little brother when they were young or maybe she handed some money to a man off the street when he fell out of his pocket. I don't know if they had pockets. I don't know what pocket situation was like back in the day. You know what I mean? But that idea that she probably did some good things, but to her, her sin, the, those, those five husbands and living with that guy who's not her husband, her sin had defined her to the point that she would say, he told me everything I'd ever done. And at some point along the way, she started to identify herself that way. And in her mind, it overshadowed everything else that she had ever done. And she began to live in the shadow of that pattern of sin in her life. And become, again, it starts to define her. And I think that that's dangerous for us, especially as Christians. Because I can tell you, the devil doesn't have to convince you that like stop following Christ turn and be a Satan worshiper you know what I mean like that's probably not um, a danger for any of us like here today or online that you're like you're making that decision now hopefully this sermon isn't that bad that you're gonna be like oh no you know but <laughs> thank you um, he doesn't have to convince you of that he just has to convince you that you are the sum of your bad choices that you are the sum of your worst day, of the sin in your life, and that there is no living water for you. And man, and then not only that, just the weight of that is heavy. And I could only imagine that as she felt that, she felt no one wants to hear my story. What can I say that anyone wants to hear? He has to convince you to keep coming back to that well that's going to leave you thirsty. And even better, if he can convince you to do it alone. Because there is an added depth of, of, of weight in that loneliness. Does that make sense? That living water isn't available to you or at least it's not worth working on that sin to get to it. And I think that it is, uh, it's so neat because we find ourselves here today. And again, a lot of us are probably, um, if you don't relate to that, her story right now, you probably have related to it at some point of your, in your life. And we say, there is still a Lord who had this conversation with her many years ago offering her living water, who wants to still offer that to us today. That's still the conversation he's looking to have with people. And maybe you feel like you're here and you say, God doesn't see me. That's nice that he saw her, but God doesn't see me. 
Like we see that he strategically put himself in her path, and I believe that he's going to strategically put himself in your path. He's putting himself at that well of your life, if you will, because again, who you are is irrelevant. Who you've been is irrelevant. What you've done is irrelevant in the light of what he has to offer you because of who he is. When he looks at you and says, I am the Messiah. And like last week in John chapter 3, um, we learned that he must increase and I must decrease. Yes, please. I need less of me and more of Jesus in my life. And this week, that was never more apparent than this week in my life. But it's true. And I think that she got that. She understood that. She said, I, I, less of this, more of him. And on verse 39, we pick up, after she's gone uh, back to the village, said, hey, come see this guy. Come see the man who told me everything I ever did. And in verse 39, we pick up, and it says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, come tell, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. And he stayed for two days, long enough for many people to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you've told us, but because we've heard him ourselves. And now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. That sounds like revival. That sounds like a lady that took a chance to answer a stranger danger question at the well and say, you know what? I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to be defensive anymore. All right, obviously he's got something that I can't divert past. And man, I don't want to delay knowing him anymore. And we've heard the saying that um, saved people save people, right? Um, and I think that that is, is, is definitely very relevant to, to this lady's story. But I want to um, submit another thought to you today, if, if you will. And that is that seeing people see people. That when you feel seen by the Savior of the world, and you start seeing folks differently, when you remember what it felt like to walk every day to that well, man... You, uh, you, start, you start seeing the pain in people's eyes that you didn't see before. And so I want to offer that question to us today. Do you remember what it was like to be lonely at the well of your life when Jesus showed up and strategically put himself in your path and told you, I am the Messiah? And then you had the decision of what you were going to do with that. And if you do, are you strategically putting yourself in a position to encounter people who need the same thing? People that need to be seen. And again, like Jesus, not so that we can win an argument, not so that we can say, this is what the Bible says. It's easy to do that. I like the Bible. Bible is important. We're going to get them there. But man, it's hard to read a Bible through tear-filled eyes. You don't feel like the person who wrote it sees you. But we have that opportunity. Flesh and blood right in front of people to say, hey, I see you. I know the well is deep. And I know the road walking here day after day has to get tired. 
but come see the man who told me everything I ever did. And like we saw from Jesus, that the main concern is the condition of her heart. So for you, it may not look like you're running into the middle of a town. You're not going to run into the middle of your workplace and say, come see the man who told me everything I've ever done. That may not be you. But it may look like ladies seeing that young woman who you work with and taking her under your wing because you know she's going through a lot and she looks tired. And you remember what it was like to be in that position as she searches for the thing that that the world leaves her wanting. You see her pursue the things that you know are just going to leave her tired and thirsty and looking for something else. Or maybe for you, it's looking into the eyes of that family member who feels the weight of the struggle of faith. That everyone else, it just seems easy for everyone else in my family to believe in God, but it's a struggle for me. And they, they carry that. I'm, I'm different. I don't fit in because I have doubts. Can we, can we take time to, to see those people? It, and can we, uh, can we take a page from the book that we see Jesus write out today and start handing out more invitations to experience and engage with him than we hand out citations for people's failures to get their lives together. I feel like sometimes that's, that's that weight, right? That's what makes people carry it is they feel like it's not an invitation, it's a citation. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. Pastor would be very proud of me. Thank you. You know that it's that I've got to get this together. I've got to go and pay this off and then I can encounter Jesus where Jesus says, no, 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 don't put me on the other side of your problem. That's not where I'm trying to be. I'm not trying to be on the other side of your sin while you're trying to work through it. I'm trying to be right here with you. Bring me in. You're going to keep getting thirsty. You're going to get more tired if you try to work through this without me. Come drink this living water and let me help you work through this. Help me, help me help you. See that you are more than the sum of your sin. You are more than the sum of your worst choice. And that there is eternal life that waits for us on the other side of that decision. And again, I love that because I feel like we are all in this story today. You are tired and you say, give me this living water so I don't have to come back here. Or you're on that other side and you say, I see you. I've been seen. I done been seen. I know what it's like to be tired. But his living water is good. I have tasted and seen that he is good. And so as we leave here today, I just kind of want us to, you can close your eyes, bow your head, however you feel comfortable. Look around, doesn't matter to me. My eyes are open. And just kind of, Kind of, let's get quiet for a second. Where do you see yourself if we were all standing at that well today? Are you holding a jar and asking Jesus, 
how are you gonna get water from this well? You don't have a bucket, you don't have the resources for what I need and wondering if he sees you? Or are you in this place today with some living water to offer some other folks? Has Jesus met you and given you some living water and now we're trying to meet people at their wells? Where are you? Where are you? Just be honest with yourself and the Lord. I know it's uncomfortable a little bit for us, but I feel like this conversation was uncomfortable for Jesus so we can have some uncomfortable conversations with people. And I want to pray for, for all of us here in the room. And as we pray, whichever side of this you're on, I want you to just pray along with me. Receive it in your heart. Receive these words if you agree with them, again, if you feel like it's, it's where you are. And just speak these words and then just receive it for yourself. So Lord, my friends that are here today, whether, again, they're here physically, they're part um, of an online experience today, God, wherever we are, God, and they're feeling the weight, the heaviness of that walk back to the well. They don't wanna keep going there, but they feel like they have to. They keep getting thirsty. And if they had, uh, and they, if they had to tell someone about you today, they'd say they, he told me everything I ever did because they feel like the sum of their sin. God, I pray that as they've, if they heard, as they've heard these words and they've heard your invitation, just like to the Samaritan woman, that you have living water for them. God, I pray that those feelings of shame, God, would be would be removed in the name of Jesus. God, that, that heads would be lifted today. God, that they would feel uh, the refreshment of your Holy Spirit. That says who you are and what you have done is ir irrelevant in the light of my power to bring you salvation. And God, for the, my other friends who are here who will say, I have received that and it's the best decision I have ever made. God, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our eyes to see the people who need to be seen. You saw us at our wells. You saw us as we tried to, pit, or to pivot away from the truth of the sin you were putting your thumb on in our lives. Let us remember what it was like to be thirsty and tired. Help us to remember what it was like to be ashamed and weighed down by our sins. Not so that we can carry that, but so we can remember the look and, and we can see it in people's eyes. Help us to be stirred to that, Lord, and help all of us to find our place in revival. All of us to find our place in the revival that you want to do in our hearts and in the world around us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for seeing us. Thank you for strategically putting yourself in our path and bringing us eternal life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.